In the Lab, a Texans podcast that takes a different look at things. Drew Doherty and John Harris have their lab coats and goggles on and the Bunsen burners burning. Here's Drew. In the Lab time is right now. I'm Drew Doherty. That's John Harris with the jazzy hands. John, it's great to see you. It's great to be with you. I'm here in the building. You're at your house. And we've not given this the proper recognition, proper attention, but you've been calling football games for a while here in the spring. Yeah. And that's, that's, I mean, that's an exciting, that's so much fun to do a call games, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like you're doing, you're doing the no. color commentary, but how has yeah. spring football been for you? I'm sure in many ways it's like riding a bike. It's like, uh, you know, what, what you do, but I'm sure in other ways it's just <laughs> surreal and weird that you're calling games in March in April, maybe even before that, as opposed to in the autumn. Give me, um, give us the Reader's Digest version of how this has all gone down for you. Because I know it's weird, like the rest of COVID, but yeah. why has it been weird for you? It, I'll be honest, Drew, I don't know that it really has, other than no? just, the, just the date and time. I mean, That's, honestly, huh. the, the, there have been crowds. Sam's band has been there on the far side. I've been calling the games for Sam Houston State. I've done their three home games. Uh, they won the Southland. They were, they're five and zero, oh, and they needed uh, Incarnate Word to lose to Northwestern State to be outright champs. They've got one more game against Incarnate Word, which was supposed to be at the beginning of the year, but the winter storm, you know, that's different. The winter storm knocked that game out, moved that game to the end of the year. But you know, Drew, I think you know the 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 one difference really, if if there if there is one, is just weather. You know, those first games in September can be a, a disaster. I mean, they're just guys falling out, cramping up. You know, it's 95 degrees. It's 100% humidity. And, I mean, it's just brutal. Even up in the, in the press box, we got the windows open, and it's just, man, we've got to get through this game. Last week's game, last Saturday's game we did against McNeese, it was 75 degrees with about a 10 to 15-mile-an-hour wind. It was just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can, get, I can get used to this. But in all honesty, Drew, I don't know. I'll tell you, the, there really hasn't been anything weird about it other than one odd thing. And, and maybe I'm the only one that picked this up. I can't figure out who's eligible for the NFL draft and who isn't. Oh, yeah, yeah. And – it's really it's, – it's, it's odd. I saw a post by a defensive lineman from Stony Brook, and he posted, I'm going to the NFL draft in 2021. And this was like maybe two weeks ago. And I thought that I had heard – I thought I heard this. That on March 1st, those players had to decide. I've seen a couple other players. Uh, there was a quarterback somewhere that just got to a point in the year where he's just like, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. I'm going to the NFL draft. I've taken it as far as I can go. I'm going to the NFL draft. So I've talked to Coach Keeler about this, Casey Keeler, head coach at Sam Houston. And basically what he's gotten from his guys, that if they're playing right now in the spring, they'll be back for the fall because they want the full fall um, experience, uh, mm-hmm. having scouts on campus, doing the full, you know, another full season. And a lot of those guys didn't get a redshirt year. And so this is acting as a redshirt year, really. So, it's going to be tough for them because they're, I, they're the top five in the country. I think they're one of the two or three best teams in the country. So they could be playing all the way through this thing, which I think is the end of May. And then they got to turn around and play fall season starting end of August, beginning of September. And they go into a new conference, the WAC. So 
put a lot of things going on. But really, Drew, the only thing that's that's troubling, and I don't know if it's troubling, but this is odd, is who's eligible for the draft. Because there's some guys I look at and go, okay, I could see, you know, us, the Texans, hey, we should look at that guy. That guy could be an undrafted free agent. But I'm watching these guys going, uh, are they in the draft? Are they staying? It's really hard. I did a game against Nichols. Nichols has a wide receiver by the name of Dejon Dixon. Very good player. 6'3", 200 pounds, athlete, can run, do everything. He got an invite to the combine. But he continues to play through the season. So, I don't know if he's going to the draft. I, it, it's just odd. But other than that, Drew, it feels like I'm calling a game in October with beautiful weather, sunny day, and it just it feels the same and it feels good. And we don't have a travel conflict at all. So yeah. I was able to do all of Sam Houston's home games, which is fun. And I don't get a chance to do that during the year because we're traveling. So we try and match up my schedules with theirs. And I only get a few games, but I got all three home games, and that was really fun. Yeah, I thought about that, and I thought that's, that's got to be really cool for him. You know, John's got to love that because, yeah. you know, because of the Texans, half their games are on the road. You, got, yeah. you, you had a chance. You had to miss some of these opportunities. So I'm, I'm glad yeah. you got to do that because that's, that's one of the most fun things to do, I know, uh, be up in the booth. You know, You've been in Huntsville quite a bit for the Sam Houston games, not just this spring, but before. And last Thursday, about, I don't know, 70, 80 miles to the west of Huntsville, roughly. I mean, just work with me here. Yeah. I was in a place called Plantersville. Hmm. Most people know Plantersville because of the Renaissance Fest. And then uh, okay. kind of near there uh, is Gary Kubiak. He's retired. And we got a chance to go up to Kubiak's ranch and we spent the morning oh. with him put a microphone on him just walked around his, his beautiful property and uh, yeah he just told us stories and we're gonna have something really really cool awesome. Texans tv in the next few weeks but i put i put a little picture of of me and, and coach kubiak up on my instagram last thursday and got a lot of a lot of fun reactions but yeah it was good to see that dude and i hadn't seen him really and had a chance to talk with him since 2013, you know, since he left. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, the way things go, players, coaches, when they get let go from a place, you don't really get a chance yeah. to talk to them or have a sense, you know, here and there you've run into guys as it's happening. You know, Kevin Walter, I got to say bye to uh, Jay Prosh one time right outside my office. Got to say yeah. bye to, but by and large, you don't get to see these guys. And so I'd run into coach Kubiak at the, uh, the combine a couple of times, but, you know how those things go, you know, you're yeah. passing, he's got to be somewhere, you got to be somewhere. So it was yeah. nice to hear from him and, and he's doing really well. And golly, he has the coolest setup out there and he's got member, the memorabilia alone. Oh he, gosh. He it up. I mean, he had a replica oh, man. of the Lombardi trophy. He, he had his, his Denny's menu, his play sheet from the <laughs> Super Bowl that they won. That's in a frame. It's fascinating. I got to no go. No way. Oh, that's yeah. cool. He had some really fun stories. I'm glad he's doing well, and uh, he's still involved in football, and you know, I'm fascinated to see what's next for him. But right now, he's retired. In uh, he's, he, I can't remember what he said, but he's like, I haven't given anything up. I'm not, I'm not done with football, but I'm just not working for a team right now. But it was really cool to see Coobs. You know what, Drew? I, it's interesting because I feel like the passage of time <clears throat> either – forces us uh, you know sports fans whatever to back on things and go okay that wasn't really as cool as I remember yeah but there are also times where we look back and go you know what you know, that guy was a lot better than we think of and, and Matt Schaub is one of the first one that comes to mind Matt was very good yeah the ending was just uh, so spectacular tough. So if tough. you will it yeah. just was like I mean it wasn't like slow it was just like 
I think with Gary Kubiak, I hope in due time that Texans fans and just fans in the city of Houston understand you know, what he's meant to the city of Houston as a, as a football contributor, if you will, you know, playing at Pius, going to A&M, winning a ring uh, with Denver Broncos as a coach, but then coming back to Houston, yeah. uh, being the head coach here, getting this team to the playoffs for the first time in franchise history. And he did it all as the right way of saying it, just a good guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, you got to make some tough decisions as a coach. And so there are going to be players that look at you, well, he's a bad guy because he cut me. He just was always struck me as just a straight up good guy. I was he's with one. We were at the combine. We were at the combine. This is probably two, three years ago. We were at the combine and we make that same walk from our hotel. We're taking the, the tunnels or whatever you call them. And we're walking through. And we see Coach Kubiak. I'm talking to Mark, so I'm kind of looking at him. And I see his face just light up. And I was like, I know that's not because of something that I said. So I look ahead, and there's Coach Kubiak. <laughs> and it was, believe it or not, it was the first time that I had been introduced to him. I had never, never met him before that. And so he just, Mark, how you doing? He asked how Corinne the kids were doing. And then he meets me. He says, hey, John, nice to meet you. And we're walking away, and he goes, Mark, hey, give me a call. Anytime you want to go up to the ranch, I'm assuming the Plantersville. Yeah. Just let me know. Just let me know. And I look at Mark as we walk away, and I was like, hey, you going to make that call or what? Are we going <laughs> to get up to the ranch, or what, what are we doing here? He's like, oh. he just started laughing and joking. But it was just – he just seemed so genuine. And I yep. think that can't be taken for granted. And I'm glad he was able to coach here in Houston. Like you said, I, is, he, is he done? I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. And the thing about it is maybe done with coaching. You know, Cause that's a, that's a grind, man. That's an absolute grind, especially for him. who's had some health problems, but he's a wealth of football knowledge oh my gosh. that can be utilized in, in a number of different ways. One thing, I don't know if it's going to make it into the, whatever we do with it. I mean, we, we could make a show out of this, but we were out in a office of his there and he pointed to the wall and he had this thing and, he considers himself as part of the Bill Walsh coaching tree. Right, right. I'm in, in San Francisco. Yeah. And, you know, Shanahan and all that stuff. And, you know, he had this thing. It was the Walsh coaching tree, and it had all the, the faces. And he was talking about how proud he was to be a part of that. So my follow-up was, hey, you got a nice tree of your own. And yeah. he, was, he, he appreciated that question because think about the guys that are in the league now. Solid. Yeah. Or just to name a few, LaFleur. I mean, they all were here. Uh, right. Kyle Shanahan out in San Francisco, and I'm leaving names out. And there's going to be names that keep popping up in the future. I think D'Amico Ryan yep. will, will be a yep, absolutely, absolutely He's coaching out in San Francisco. We learned a lot under Kubiak, so yeah, it's been Stefanski, you know, including. Oh yeah, oh. And I know he's not directly, He's a good but, football coach. You know, they're around yeah, but, each other, and, and yeah, it's very, fun very to see much his, so. his influence on on people. Stefanski is going to be one to definitely keep an eye on, but you just mentioned influence. And I mean, there are probably coaches that he didn't even coach with that in some way, shape or form had, you know, he had influence on in some way. So um, I'm I'm glad you got a chance to do that, man. That's, that's really cool. And you bring up a great point and we don't, we live in the building, but we don't get a chance to see these guys when they're cut or they move on or they sign a new contract. You know, every so often you get that opportunity, you see a different, uh, a different, uh, a player in a different, variety in a different way and location I had that with Tyron Matthew and Tyron and I had talked you know a bunch while he was here and got to know him a little bit you know but then he signs to go to Kansas City and you're like ah, you know maybe the 
you know, he's going to be over at Kansas City. We might play him. You know, maybe. So in Kansas City, you kind of got to walk this maze to get to the press box. And so I happened to be walking back down the press box to the field. And he was coming back off the field from his pre, you know, pregame routine. You got to go by the Chiefs locker room. At, and you, know, you got to go right by the Chiefs locker room. And he just saw me and his eyes lit up. And we had a big hug and talked <laughs> for, you know, a minute or so. And it was just, it was kind of like, you know, hello, but it was also goodbye too, you know. So yeah. it's, it's kind of a weird, it's kind of a weird deal. And sometimes you don't get to do that until, you know, years down the road. I hope I can be there for Dwayne Brown when he decides to retire just so I can I can tell him, see, told you, you didn't make it, pal. <laughs> but he did. It's kind of messy. Put, put the film on, bro. All right. Uh, right. Talk a little bit about the wide receivers in this draft. Because last week yeah. we talked about running backs. But yeah. guys who can catch the ball in this draft, who you think are going to be around when the Texans are picking at 67th. Now, they've got eight picks. Obviously no first. Obviously no second because of the Tunsil trade. So right now right. It's, it's 67. That could change, clearly. Yes. Probably if it changes, it would be them moving back to, to accrue more picks this year and next. But anyways, who might be somebody to keep an eye on when the Texans are on the board Friday night in less than a month at the wide receiver spot? Here's what's interesting, Drew. You mentioned trading back. If, let's say, and, and maybe this isn't the, the case, but let's say wide receiver is number one. We want a receiver. We want a receiver as early as possible. And we want a really good one that can come in, has the potential to be a number one wide receiver down the road, guy can catch 70, 75 passes, you know, be a go-to guy, et cetera. They could trade down from 67 and still find that guy, I think. Really? That rich of a draft at the receiver spot, huh? Drew, I, I wrote an article on Friday, and I just did my top receivers. And what I realized was, my goodness, first of all, when you talk about receivers, you've got your outside guys, kind of your ex-receivers, you know what DeAndre Hopkins was. And then you got your inside guys, your slot guys that are mainly in that 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 position. You know the the Julian Edelman types, if you will, tip of the cap to Julian for a great career. Retired yesterday, thank God. <laughs> and they kind of split up that way. Drew, I have twenty one. Now I took the Harris one hundred and I went all the way to two fifty. But I decided I I could just go on and on and on about receivers. Twenty one, ten, X receivers or outside receivers. 11 slot slash weapon X types, 21 receivers in the top 133 of this draft. Really? So I think very highly of these group receivers. And it makes, look, it makes perfect sense. There's so much seven on seven going on. Receivers have really become amongst young kids. That's what they want to be. They want to go catch the football. That's, that's their thing. You know, they watch DeAndre. They watch Odell Beckham Jr. They watch Stephon Diggs. They want to be those guys. They don't want to play corner anymore. Uh, the irony is that the corners in this draft are all sons of NFL players, seemingly. <laughs> that said, no, 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 you're not playing receiver. You're going to play corner because you're going to make a bunch of money covering these guys. But I do think at 67, there are a lot of potential options. Tylen Wallace from Oklahoma State, I would love. Tough, gritty. Um, everything you want a receiver. Catches everything. Great routes. Just has all the little nuances to being a receiver. Not – dynamic speed-wise, but everything else you're looking at wide receiver, he's got it. Two guys that I like, one I know is in the, in the Harris 100 is Josh Palmer from Tennessee. I came back from the Senior Bowl and I was scoured. I was like, I got to find Tennessee stuff. I got to watch this guy. I didn't watch Tennessee hardly at all, mm -hmm. the Volunteers, hardly at all in, in 2020. Just didn't. They weren't very good. I didn't want to waste my time watching the team. It wasn't very good. I'd heard about him, but like, eh, watched him at the Senior Bowl. He was incredible. 
came back, watched the Tennessee field, like, wow, I love this guy. Um, I think he's very good. Des Fitzpatrick, Fitzpatrick, who's just outside the 100 from Louisville. He's kind of a poor man's Keenan Allen. As I'm watching him, that's just kind of the mannerisms and the way he runs his routes and the way he did things. That was Keenan Allen to me. Mm. Um, there are just a lot of guys that really can fit in. And then you got some of your smaller slot receivers, maybe. Tutu Atwell from Louisville. Look, he's 155 pounds, but he'll be the fastest guy in the field every time he's on the field. Um, you know, a guy like that. Does a guy like Rondale Moore from Purdue slip all the way to 67? I wouldn't imagine that he would. But if teams are concerned about where he fits, is he a running back? Is he a slot receiver? Whatever. Don't mind me. I'll take him at 67 because he's a football player. He squats 700 pounds, even though he's 5'7", 180. And once he gets a ball in his hands, he's like Earl Campbell. He is as difficult to tackle as anybody. So there's some things that could happen draft night that can make things, some things interesting. But when it comes to the receiver position, it is loaded, loaded with guys, even guys that are outside the 100. Some guys with some question marks that I really like as players Terry from Florida State is a perfect example of that. Left the team in 2020, just kind of out of the blue, and there had been some issues before that. But you put on the tape against C.J. Henderson, who is the number one corner at, with the Jackson Jaguars, and I'm telling you, he blew up Henderson. Hmm. But he's had some issues off the field. Is that somebody that the Texans feel comfortable with? They've got the issues behind him, and he can move on. There are going to be a few guys like that down the road as well. This is going to be a position they can find a big-time baller in the fourth round. I don't think there's any question about it in my mind. Good stuff. We're talking about the defense next week because I kind of think that's where they're going to go with 67. Yeah, me too. I probably should have prefaced this whole wide receiver talk with that. But anyways, you sort of uh, set it up well with the fourth round. Hey, man, good talking with you as always. And we will do this again next week. This has been In the Lab.